in the mental health field too often. We've made it seem as if it's just in your head. In your head. If the landlord can hijack the rent by 20%, that impacts people's mental health. We can't have a profit-driven mental health care system if we want our people to be connected and healthy. We're not mocking people who meditate or yeah. the um, usefulness of meditation. Yeah. But that it's a meditation is a replacement for addressing yeah. the social conditions that make our lives worse. Just to be clear, we're not actually making fun of meditation or meditators. Because I, I went on a 10-day meditation retreat many years ago called the Vipassana retreat. And it's really hardcore. I mean, it's you take a vow of silence. It's, you know, it's really, um, yeah. it's kind of like hardcore Buddhist. It's like all vegetarian food. Um, it's free. It's damn helpful, honestly. I mean, in terms of like, just getting you in a healthier individual mode. In no way is our critique of self-care or a critique of meditation against those things. It's important to take care of yourself. Meditation mm -hmm. is very helpful. What we're talking about is taking a good idea and trying to make a capitalist profit out of it mm -hmm. while ignoring the social context, because we're all about talking about the social context. Mm -hmm. So if you're using meditation or self-care in order to not care at all about anyone else, then it's not such a good idea. It's a, it's an invitation to a cop-out, to a cop-out, to a cop-out, to a cop-out. I welcome you to take in one deep, whole breath to the top of your lungs. Hold for a count of, let's say, five seconds and let it out slowly. Ah. Now notice the sensation of your breath entering your body and acknowledge it with softness and gratitude. You may notice your mind conjuring images of tenants union protesters on rent strike, fighting what they believe to be injustice. Just notice those bad vibes trying to interfere with your self-care. Notice the bad energy and breathe it out. <sighs> Good. Now tenants union has disappeared and you did it all in your own breath, all in your own mind. Now notice judgments about your boss, the way he talks down to you or she talks down to you and expects more from you than you can take. Notice the anger rising within you. Notice the discomfort that anger causes. And now notice the sensation of anger. The image of your boss's face can all pass by like a cloud in the sky. No need to hang on to negative energy. Negativity is not in control. You're in control, even though your boss is nominally in control and can tell you to do a lot of things. You're actually in control of all the achievements listed on your LinkedIn profile that are true and those are exaggerations. <laughs> You're actually a middle-class professional. You don't need to rock the boat. Just notice the boat rocking back and forth. You passively and positively experience life as a normal, well-adjusted, apolitical American. As you exhale, remember that each out-breath gives the trees of planet Earth carbon dioxide to breathe. There's never enough carbon dioxide in the atmosphere for the trees to breathe. You and Mother Nature are in a symbiotic, loving relationship. 
The only Green New Deal you need in your life is this moment. The Green New Deal of inhalation and exhalation. Conjure the color green in your mind. Notice its calming, pleasant sensations. Try not to notice who's cutting down the trees and selling them for lumber. Ah, good. Ah. Remember, it's important to feel as good as often as you can, not to bother anyone, no matter what they're doing to you or the planet or anyone else, and to avoid people who bother you. Breathe in and breathe out, and it will disappear. Avoid discomfort when you breathe in and breathe out bad vibes. Breathe in and breathe out and never mind the bad vibes that can surround you while you're all alone breathing. If you can breathe the air and not be near the incinerator. Ah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) In my yoga class, which is a wonderful class, the teacher says, that yoga is a path to world peace. Now, the more and more Americans that are doing yoga, America has a presence in 144 countries and also has more armaments than all of the other countries combined. So we, that isn't working. To have inner peace doesn't work to create a peaceful world, but mm-hmm. it can create to help you quiet down so that you can look at the world and intervene in it in a responsible way to make it better. It's just you shouldn't confuse your own calm with with the struggle against those forces that are perverting our world. You can't just meditate imperialism away. It just doesn't, that's not what it's designed for, you know? And also, and it can, the uses to which it could be designed are, are perverted and can be taken to create political passivity and disinterest, as if the only thing that matters is your own state of mind and not what's around you. The COVID virus is a great example. You can be very peaceful as you walk in a crowded place and get COVID, still get COVID. Mm-hmm. If people haven't taken the precautions to disinfect and to protect us, which they haven't. And it's as if it, all those, if all those people who are disobeying the shelter-in-place laws only meditated, Trump's agenda would change. No, it wouldn't. We have to understand that, that mindfulness is important, and it's important to be able to focus on what's going on in you and in the world. But you aren't the world. And what we are addressing here is the capitalist co-optation of the valuable tools of meditation and yoga and other self centering practices that help you calm down, know what's going on in yourself, and be able to be a calming, smart presence in the world that changes it, but that does not confuse your inner changes with political change. That, you know, people didn't create the union movement by sitting there calmly in their small breaks and um, while they're on the toilet in the five minutes allotted. I mean, the suffragists, women getting the right to vote, it, it wasn't 100% violence, but it, a lot of it actually entailed, like, women throwing firebombs at police in the streets. I mean, there there is... Well, leaving um, them in, in the mailboxes in certain areas. Right. So, and again, it's not, we're not saying, like, 
go <laughs> we're not saying like go fist fight the police or something in the streets but like the reality of the way social change has always happened is there's been conflict there's been it's not just discomfort it's not like a little bit of anxiety that you that makes you feel uncomfortable um it's like you know struggle like the 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 word struggle has been used on the left for a long time for very good reason. You know, think of if we if we had a time machine, you went back to like, let's say when slavery was more overtly legal or when women were men's property. And if you had a bunch of therapists and meditation teachers just kind of helicopter into those time periods and say, wow, well, these slaves, they they have really high. Uh, we've done some clinical assessments and it just really looks like they have high levels of PTSD and there's these personality disorders. Look at all these women with borderline personality disorders. They're just singing for no reason and screaming. And look at these hysterical women. They uh, they keep complaining about their husbands. But look, they're owned by their husbands. Why why do these women keep complaining? We need to get them some meditation classes. You know, we need to get them to calm down. It obviously seems absurd if we frame it that way. But there's a lot of ways that that exact kind of thing is happening right now. Just keep calm, calm down good yeah. vibes, positive vibes, don't rock the boat. I couldn't agree more if the suffragists were sitting in and they did some calming meditation things while they were sitting in and resisting arrest. It's mm. very nice to be nice. calm when yeah. you're resisting arrest because if you kick the officer in the balls, he'll probably hurt you. <laughs> Therefore, right, right. but you need to sit there and say no, and you mm -hmm. need to sit in sometimes. And we don't want these valuable tools to be used to depoliticize people and alienate us from each other and from the changes that we need to make together or they won't happen. You know, that goes back to this idea of discipline to me too. And I think in any kind of social movement, there's a need for discipline. Well, especially in what you just brought up, any kind of direct action campaign. If you and a group of 10 or 50 or 100 people are going to engage in, let's say, civil civil disobedience. You know that the cops are going to march toward you and start beating beating you up. Um, not only will you have had to have trained to do that for a long time with a lot of experienced people, which is, you know, all the images that we have of um, from the civil rights movement of um, black folks getting beat by cops or, or sprayed with water, or, you know, had like dogs biting on them and stuff. Not in every case, but I know in many cases, they were all training like in basements of churches and people's homes and stuff to make sure that they could tolerate this distress and the physical pain and the emotional anguish that was going to be inevitable as a result of them just existing with cops nearby or with um, regular, normal, kind of like white middle class people saying, no, you can't sit in this cafe with us. And then they stayed disciplined. They Nonviolence was a tactic. It wasn't um, a value. You, you didn't just walk around saying, I'm going to be a nonviolent individual. You're saying we have larger political goals and we're going to use nonviolence as a tactic that requires a lot of discipline. So we're going to have to stay focused, something that mindfulness helps with. We're going to have to stay calm, something mindfulness helps with. And we're going to have to stay probably compassionate toward our oppressors because as much as we're feeling anger and hatred toward them for mistreating us, we need to just kind of keep cool. Because we don't want to make a bad situation worse. And we know the cameras are pointing at us. And this is all going to be on the evening news tonight or the, the newspapers. So all the discipline that you can get from something like mindfulness or any other kind of calming practice can come in real damn handy if you're engaged in social movements that require direct action and struggle. But that's where kind of my issue is where um, even the history of yoga from what I've been reading is that 
yoga really started to take off in the form that we're accustomed to. I think it's called yoga asana. And there's a there's many different types of this kind of like what we what we think of as yoga, where you do like downward dog and you hold like a squat for a long time and you just do a bunch of stretching and stuff. But part of it was that the the Hindu nationalist movement that was trying to fight back against the British colonialists were trying to export a very kind of culturally prideful aspect of themselves coupled with bodybuilding in service of becoming physically strong enough to be able to physically resist British colonialists. So even the way we conceptualize yoga right now as like, well, maybe on my lunch break from my office job, I'll go stretch for a little while and sweat and I'll feel spiritually centered, I suppose, and physically fit that the history of that exact practice is actually highly political and was shaped in the context of extremely violent colonialist practices by the by the British imperial forces. So it wasn't just to get yourself relaxed and to, to um, exercise. Mindfulness is part of mental health and mm-hmm. um, spiritual practice is part of mental health and calm and sanity, mm-hmm. but it's also pushed as a cop-out, and we have to address that within this psychopolitical moment that we're in. So the history of the self-care movement is actually one of the most fascinating things I came across. There's this one quote from, what was it, Remembering the Origins of the Self-Care Movement by Sarah Boyle. It's from a Bust.com article. And it says, women's rights activists were inspired by groups such as the Black Panthers and began adopting their own ideas of what self-care meant for women, namely those living in poverty without access to health care. Ignored and often criticized by the government for their need for health care, such as reproductive services, feminist activists opened their own health clinics to ensure that women were given access to the care that they needed. It is infuriating to realize that access to these basic rights is still labeled an act of rebellion. The late activist Audre Lorde wrote the now famous quote, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. So what's so interesting about that to me, though, is that I've seen memes and uh, like graphics and images all over the internet over the years with that exact quote by Audre Lorde that is not at all within a political context. And it's funny because... You could think of sort of a corporate, um, let's say there's some women leaders uh, in, I don't know, like Citibank. Let's say there's a, mm. I don't know, six out of 10 of the of the boardroom, are, it's like women, right? And I mean, let's say they're, they could be white, they could be women of color. Um, regardless, I could see any of them really kind of owning this quote. I could even see them at, it, it, that it's, um, I don't know, maybe on their LinkedIn profile or something where they pride themselves on this idea of caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. You can kind of take that out of context and just say anything nice you're doing for yourself is an act of political warfare. And then it sounds like it has teeth in it, and it sounds like you're resisting something bad, like let's say the patriarchy or whatever thing you want to say you're resisting. And then you can say, so I'm going to go eat some chocolate, and it's an act of political warfare. But it only works that way if you completely take it out of the context this article is talking about. I'm curious what your experiences were during this time, if you were seeing this kind of stuff go on or if you were involved in this stuff yourself, Harriet, of women's circles engaging in self-care in a way that's totally different than how we think of it today. Well, as a white woman 
who in the women's movement was in graduate school and was not shut out of health care. I was aware that the original abortion rights movement was for abortion rights and against sterile, forced sterilizations. Because throughout the, say, the South, women who went in for reproductive care, black women were often sterilized as a way of controlling their ability to create other people who were also brown. And that was very much an economic and racial issue hmm. because bourgeois white women were not subject to forced sterilizations. Hmm. Men, particularly black women, what white, some white women also were forcibly sterilized in prison hmm. under that they were, they would deceive them by saying there's a routine health procedure and drug them and sterilize them, which was race and class warfare. Mm. One of the mistakes that we made as a pioneer and founding mother of the women's movement was to take the personal as political, you know, to leave it without defining it better. Because what you do personally doesn't necessarily have any impact. You can take yoga every day. The world won't be a more just place. The United States will keep invading. The Afghanistanis will keep blowing up the American troops. The 144 countries that we're involved in will have problems because of our military involvement. The military-industrial complex We'll still make money because we're the biggest military producers in the world, no matter what your personal peace is like. What we intended to say was that personal life, what happens in your family, which shapes you, how people are treated, and the power of doing personal work, what you learn from creating order, cleanliness, child care, personal care for all the people in your family and beyond, are valuable lessons, lessons from which a caring economy should take heed mm. and we should be paid for those labors instead of having daycare workers get less than parking lot attendants mm. and having people who clean an environment and keep it safe, like the janitors and the nurses' aides in the hospital, be paid a pittance. Mm while the doctors are overpaid because they bring the patients into the hospital, which wants the money because it, <laughs> hospitals run for profit. And so the self-care movement became confused. And what I do personally became perverted to the point that what you do personally in your life, that you, you take yoga or you meditate, transforms the world politically, transforms mm -hmm. economic injustice and social injustice, who's going to get COVID care or who's going to be let die in the hospital, who lives next to the incinerator and whose kids get asthma. Those are political and economic questions that, and those are capitalist practices that need to be fought. We can't be so calm that we can't fight back. And that has been a confusion that has bled into the self-care movement. So self-care places are often very expensive dietary advice, often pushing people to be so thin it's dangerous, women particularly, 
And I remember going on a demonstration, a feminist demonstration against women in the military, mm. holding signs that said, we're proud that we create life. We don't kill it. Mm. That didn't go over well. And the Gloria Steinem voices in the movement said that it was a feminist thing to be able to go out there and kill people mm. for the U.S. government. And, you know, they did learn something in Vietnam that they couldn't draft people because people who are not in some kind of economic draft that they sign up because they're desperate or a political draft that they have to can rebel. And they don't want that to happen. And they wanted more and more people in this enormous military. Mm. And people confuse that with extending our rights. But our right to do what? kill people. You know, the self-care movement, like everything else, can be perverted to capitalist ends. You're you're conjuring uh, the next paragraph of that article by uh, Sarah Boyle. So I'm just going to read a, a little snippet of it. Um, so it says, now that the self-care concept has become such a national movement, it is important to think about the idea with intention and reflection instead of just which bath bomb should I use today. Yashna Padamsi of the National Domestic Workers Alliance told the New York Times, there is a distinction between self-care and treating yourself. According to Padamsi, it is important to ask if your acts of self-care are for all of our lives or just yours. In other words, is the motivation behind your self-care just to make you happy for a moment or is it to ensure that you will be your best self for the rest of society? I'm trying to imagine what it was like during those times when you were mentioning Harriet that you were you had relatively decent access to some degree of health care but a lot of the women of color in particular not only didn't but a lot of um, black women in particular were being sterilized whether they were incarcerated or um, maybe in other situations but I can totally see how this the personal is political idea you just articulated could have been misconstrued over time to be taken out of a political context where, for example, if women were just always expected to be the default cleaners and preparers of food and shoppers for the groceries and the um, the ones raising the children, that first of all, all of this is really hard work and it wasn't compensated for, I think, at all for forever. Um, I mean, it still often isn't. But the idea of self-care in that context was really more like, well, we're the ones that kind of do the caring work of the world taking care of ourselves is revolutionary in that no one else is going to take care of us like patriarchy is not going to take care of us in fact it's just going to wear us down and ignore our voices and everything you can see it within the context of now in the planned mm -hmm. in the attacks on planned parenthood which is the only reproductive health care that most of the women in this country that don't live in big cities that it's what they have access to right and the the impulse to shut it down is to shut down the possibility of women deciding whether we can manage to have children while we're working full time and still doing the lion's share of the housework. Mm. And so that it becomes a way of slicing at women and trying to make us into wombs for men, like the, anti the supposed right to life has, mm. and in trying to close Planned Parenthood. And we can see this particularly in Technicolor now, because now essential workers are the ones who give care. 
the hospital worker, the orderly who moves the people around, the nurse, the nurse's aide, the janitor who keeps that hospital clean, the Instacart worker, the delivery workers, the Amazon warehouse packers. Mm. They're all dying. No other country has had nurses die. No, none of the countries that have beaten that, which is the rest of the developed world mainly. We've had 9,022 nurses die because they weren't given protective clothing. And when the Instacart and Amazon workers went on strike, what they asked for is hazard pay because they are doing the hazardous, essential caring labor that is devalued. You say, thank you, you're heroes, and then give us nothing. Mm -hmm. No protection, no hazard pay for those people who are giving takeout at, at uh, McDonald's without protective gear mm -hmm. that's adequate and without hazard pay. So what we're up against here is self-care without looking at the context in which it began or mm -hmm. in which it needs to be done is taking care of all of us, not just me mm -hmm. eating vegetables and breathing deeply and doing yoga, even though th those things can be important to calm down, but that's not a political statement. So I, I also want to just throw in here uh, for I don't think I've mentioned this yet li to listeners, but so I'm a member of the IWW, which is the Industrial Workers of the World. It's, uh, um, I guess the r Radical Labor Union. And I've I've only had one uh, one extensive training with them called the OT 101, or organizing training 101. And something that aside from the actual methods of like union organizing that you you learn from an OT 101 with IWW, to, to me a bigger takeaway was the um, realizing the what an enormous psychological shift that there has been in the workplace over the last 50 years because I know so many people my age like millennial age people who will be complaining about their job when I ask them oh you know what do you are you gonna that really sucks do you want to try to do something about it the majority of folks I've talked to who are around my age say yeah well I'm gonna um I'm gonna try to get a meeting with my manager and um you know just make a little request and you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like knowing a little bit about union organizing now where it's like, you know, even the, the t tiny shreds of protection we have from the National Labor Relations Act from like 100 years ago, uh, the concerted activity paragraph that basically says that you have the right to engage in concerted activity with other coworkers to make things better. The fact is that you actually have more on a federal law level, you have more chance of getting what you want within a small group, even three coworkers. If you go in and you, you don't have to like march in with holding like M16s or something, you just go in there and say, you know, we, you speak professionally, you role play what you're going to say, but all three of you or five of you or 10 of you make a, a reasonable request to the manager saying, you know, we, we understand that you've made this request of our, our colleague and we actually think the following would be a more reasonable um, alternative to what you've requested based off of X, Y, and Z. You're actually better off doing that than going in and talking to your manager alone but and just to go back to the self-care idea, all the issues that I think workers are facing today is that if you at least attempt to take some sort of collective action, you do it in an intelligent way in the workplace, you actually are just you're more likely to actually get what you want. But that consciousness has faded away so extremely to where there's in place of this idea of collective action in the workplace there's instead there's hopelessness and there's fear they're saying like well, i don't want to be seen as somebody who will rock the boat and how how would i even talk to my coworkers about about us standing up for each other 
So it's a sort of art that's been lost and replaced with, well, don't get your other coworkers involved. They, they'll think that's annoying. That's kind of, that might make them feel uncomfortable. Have good boundaries, have good professional boundaries. Don't ask anything of anyone in your workplace. Don't talk back to your boss. Just be a professional and go ask them nicely if you can maybe get your dental benefits back. And if they say no, well, hey, you know what? Uh, life goes on and stay positive. You'll probably have the same employer say, well, hey, we got a discount on Headspace, the mindfulness app that uh, you can download on your phone so you can do some meditation so you'll feel a little bit more calm because I know that it's uh, the decision that's come down the pipeline is a little bit uh, unsettling. But if you do a little bit of meditation and yoga, you'll feel better about it, right? And there's so many people who have just accepted this at this point that you just kind of you take shit from your boss, don't organize, don't try to collectivize. That's Aside- very important because yeah. it, it feeds the same thing. What's happening is in the atrocity of the way that the Trump administration is handling the coronavirus, which we do have 81,000 dead. That was yesterday. I'm sure it's higher today. But people are catching on in New York in big complexes. People are not going in and negotiating by themselves with the landlord to get a reduction. Mm -hmm. They have no rent strikes where enough people are not paying so that they get a landlord to hold the rent and not make people pay. It's the same thing with the Me Too movement. Women realized that if you talk personally about some man who abused you the way Tara Burke did about Biden and the way many, many women did about Trump, you won't be heard. But if you're part of a movement, if you're one of the 80 that reported Bill Cosby or the 35 that originally had cases against Epstein, of course, it turned out to be hundreds, mm-hmm. or the multiplicity that complained about Weinstein, and you're all together. That's something that can't be denied. It's not he said, she said, you can be dismissed. Mm-hmm. It's we said, and we're together. And that's something that Americans are just beginning to realize again. We have to realize we have a government of corporate executives who then pick cabinet members who are other corporate executives with an idea that what's important in the world is that the profit-making companies keep making profit. And if you die at the meatpacking plant, well, at least Smithfield Foods or um, Tyson Foods are making money. And Mm -hmm. that's what we're up against. And self-care movements, if you're standing in the cold packing chicken parts, and there's people with COVID next to you, breathing deeply will probably get you COVID. It's not a good idea. And doing yoga when you get home exhausted from standing on the line in the cold all day is not going to cut it. So that we have to understand that these very useful tools like meditation, yoga, Pilates, that can give you a sense of inner strength and calm, can prepare you for political struggle or it can be a cop-out. And what we're talking about is don't let it be a cop-out. Use these value tools because this amount of injustice can make you feel crazy. And it's important not to be crazy so you can fight back. I actually have a call. I have to get on Harriet um, from from a client. So as usual, we encourage everyone to send us emails. As you may have noticed, we had a name change. We had to change our name by one word. It was, it's not all in your head and that's been changed to it's not just in your head so to email us you'll see the email in the 
the podcast description. It's it's not just in your head at gmail.com. We encourage you to send us your feedback, comments, criticisms, whatever you'd like. We welcome you all and that we want people to understand that it's important to keep calm and centered and strong because we need to fight against the injustice and the capitalist breakdown that is around us so that we can have a life and a government that meets not only our needs, but our needs together. Okay, sounds good. Okay, Harriet, I'll um, I'll talk to you soon. Sorry, I just I have to take sure, this call. Sure, I understand that. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.